Yeah. Good morning. It is good to see you all. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. If you are one of our guests, we're glad that you're with us this morning. Um, and we're going to start with just a few announcements. Um, so, uh, so several things coming up and starting this week. One is women's Bible study starts this week on the 13th. So if you're interested in that and have not signed up, please do so. You can sign up um, on Church Center or you can get to the sign up through the website. Either way is fine. Um, men's Bible study, uh, I don't think they ever end. It just happens every week. Um, a lot of those guys missed Thanksgiving and Christmas with their families because Bible study endured. Um, it's on Thursdays um, also in the evening. So if you're, you're a guy interested in that, you can check out that information on Church Center as well. Also this coming Saturday, so six days from now, is in, Encourage Her, one of our women's ministries that meets at Debbie Call's house. Um, um, same thing there with uh, information being on Church Center available to you. So if you want to learn more about it. Um, and then two, two last things. One is you may remember uh, last year in October, we had access to a couples checkup tool um, that many of you got to use. And I'm grateful that you did. We're wanting to take a next step in ministry for marriages here at CBC. And so in, in two weeks, um, today's the ninth. It's the 16th. Um, after church next week, we're going to have a 15 to 20 minute informational meeting. If you're interested in being a part, um, I would love for you to come and join us. We're not going to eat. We're just going to uh, talk for a few minutes and then, uh, and then uh, talk about what our next step might be. The second thing is um, today after church, please don't leave. Hang around for 10 minutes and help my sweet wife take down and put away Christmas decorations. If, if we all stay, it'll take 10 minutes. She's super organized. All you do, if you see a Christmas decoration, grab it and take it to the, this hallway over here and we'll get it up to the attic yeah. and it'll be perfect. If everyone just grabs a Christmas decoration and brings it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so don't leave. You're not gonna be dismissed after the service is over. <laughs> Okay. Your ticket out of the building is that you um, have your Christmas decoration. <laughs> yes. Our security team has been notified. <clears throat> okay. Would you guys stand up with me? We're going to start this morning. I'm going to read a scripture um, from Psalm 30. It says, <clears throat> Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned from me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I give thanks to you forever. I search the world. Treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing.
failures and flaws Lord, you've seen them all And you still call me
this next song we're going to sing, I think we've done maybe once before. It's called Be Still. And it's a flip where we're not singing praises to God. He's singing over us. And um, I used to laugh and say, oh, that's my favorite song because I'm so terrible at it, um, about being still. And then it, it kind of hit me that um, it's not just about being still. It's that every situation in which we're hurting, he says, come and rest and be still. And Chris shared about it in his email, the email this week of the maybe the family connection or the prayer request that about control and our lack of it. And this year, um, or this past year, in our family, we discovered that we didn't have control over my health. And um, there were things that were going on that we just had to wait and, and trust God. And this was my mantra that he, he gave me something to make me be still. And I spent a lot of this year having to rest and having to be still, and I'm, I still haven't learned my lesson because uh, he keeps giving me things to make me rest. But um, just as we sing this, let these words wash over you and be reminded that no matter if we're lonely or hurting or weary, that God says, come to me and I will give you rest. So oh. 
Father, thank you for a place that we can come and trust you. Father, would you teach us this morning, draw us close, change us to be more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're one of our kiddos, K through 5, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. And if you're a guest here and have a kiddo in that age range, you can uh, go with them and get them checked in and then uh, come back and join us. Before we look at God's Word, I want to uh, make an announcement that we actually made by email last uh, Thursday in the Family Connection uh, regarding a new staff hire. And uh, this is one that all of you have been involved in through prayer and numerous uh, people through face-to-face -face interviews and, and uh, observations and feedback, and we deeply appreciate, appreciate all of that. Uh, we got a picture of Adam Shelburne is the uh, man that we have hired uh, as children of pastors ministry at children of ministry pastor of children's ministry is it that hard <laughs> anyway uh, I'm very excited uh, about it uh, if uh, when you spend time with him you realize very quickly that he loves children and that uh, he uh, his experience is evident as you observe him working with children and, and leading. Uh, he has had a position uh, roughly about 15 years, positions of leadership in uh, children's ministries in the local church, and we're very thankful for that. Uh, not only does he love children, but he loves Jesus, and he loves uh, discipling children to Jesus, and and I'm very excited about that as well. I think that uh, he will be an asset for our teachers and leaders and helpers and even come alongside the parents, uh, whether it's just better understanding their child or hopefully uh, adding uh, different insights into discipling their child to Jesus. And uh, so I'm very excited about all of this. Uh, Adam will be, uh, his first day uh, on the job here is February 7th. And so uh, we're, we're looking at a few more weeks. Uh, we hope to do a lunch uh, like we've done with uh, many other uh, staff hires uh, somewhere there in February where we can get to know him and uh, fellowship together and just enjoy our time together with him. Uh, would appreciate your prayer for him as he finishes up at his uh, current church family and as he uh, sells his home and comes down here and looks for a place to uh, purchase and, and live uh, permanently. Uh, appreciate your prayer for that and also your insight. If you know anybody that is renting temporarily uh, until he can purchase, uh, let us know about that as well. And I appreciate those of you that responded to the email that way. So uh, keep those ideas coming. But uh, let's really pray for him and for that uh, move down here, move back to Texas for him and uh, the whole uh, startup. I am really excited that uh, I believe that he will take uh, the environment of grace and truth that Mary established for us and uh, bring his own vision and add to the, to that. Uh, and, and so I'm excited about a lot of different things going on here and ask for your continued prayer in that. Will you join me in prayer now as we pray for that? Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the, the uh, privilege it is to gather together to uh, the relief that it brings uh, in, in hectic lives and lives that are full of all kinds of circumstances and 
to be able to just give ourselves to you uh, for this hour and to hear from you. And we need you. And we thank you for your provision of this uh, staff hire. We thank you for Adam and for his life. We thank you for his uh, gifting and his experience, but most of all for his heart, uh, for you and for children. And we ask that uh, as you have led him uh, to us and us to him, that uh, you would give us a smooth uh, start and you would allow him to be able to sell his place up there and, and get down here and find a place to locate we ask that you would um, give him great strength and stamina as he starts out and, and that uh, you would allow him to hit the ground running and to uh, enjoy becoming part of our church family. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the answered prayer and for uh, your superintendence of this entire process. And, and so we entrust his ministry uh, to you and look forward to getting to know him and seeing in him at work here. And, and Lord, we ask uh, now as we open your word that you would open our hearts uh, to you and give us the grace to respond to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are one week into the new year. And of course, that new year, as Matt said last week, is, is a natural time to reflect on the past and to long for new beginnings. Uh, I, I love uh, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians about the transformation that takes place in us when we trust Christ as Savior, that uh, we become new creatures in Christ and the old is gone and the new has come. And that's what we look forward to in a new year, right? Some people do make resolutions. Some people make promises. Uh, we're not going to talk about this this morning, uh, just like Matt didn't last week. But I, I do want you to know that I did try to help him not keep any resolution, resolutions. I gave him a coupon for Domino's Pizza so that uh, he could uh, enjoy himself whenever he's ready. We don't want to look at resolutions and, and promises uh, just by reflecting on life. And that's a natural thing. And I think it's a healthy thing uh, that you can do throughout the year. Uh, but it's certainly a natural thing to do it the, the, as the calendar turns to a new year. What we want to do this morning is take a more serious look at our spiritual lives. We want to look at where we are in our walk with Jesus Christ and how important he is. We want to take a serious look. If we were just going to say... Uh, uh, let's have promises and resolutions for the new year, then I would just point you to Jesus and, and just say, hey, uh, you know, I, I would actually side with uh, uh, Augustine, the great theologian of the fourth century, who said, you know, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, love God and do what you want. Um, love God and do what you want. Because the, the truth is, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then whatever you want to do, will be aligned with his will. You will be doing his will. And, and certainly uh, that is necessary for our hearts to be aligned with God. And, um, and, and a new year is a good time to start that and to start thinking that way. But we want to look uh, a little more seriously and we want to look at a specific challenge um, that God lays out for us in the, in the little book of Haggai. Uh, it's, it's in the Old Testament. It's the third book from the end. Uh, 
uh, it and Zechariah and Malachi there at the end of your Old Testament uh, make up the uh, post-exilic prophets. And what that means is they prophesied to the Israelites once they had come back from Babylon, from that 70 years in captivity. And what we want to do is, is uh, we want to reflect on questions that God has for us in, in this passage. And basically they are, what are your priorities? Because God's going to speak to misplaced priorities. And he's going to basically ask us the question, you know, have I, have you, have we prioritized our own interests above God's interests? Are we living according to our agenda or according to God's agenda? And so that's why we're not just saying, hey, let's make a new resolution. We're saying essentially this morning, let's be confronted with God's grace and truth and make decisions about where we are because we may need a course correction. And that's what takes place in the book of Haggai as we look at that over the next four weeks. Uh, we've got to ask and, and answer these questions um, about how much God matters in our lives and how important his interests are for us. And then we've got to decide if we need to make a course correction. Let me give you a quote that uh, I think confronts our thinking this morning in, in this way. It's from Billy Graham, one of the most influential uh, preachers of the last half of the last century. And, uh, and he pursued everyone from presidents uh, of the United States all the way down to the common man with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what he said, if Christianity is important at all, then it is all important. If it is anything at all, then it is everything. It is either the most vital thing in your life or it isn't worth bothering with. That's what we want to be confronted with today because that's what Haggai brings from God to the Israelites and there are so many parallels for us in our lives and we basically want to ask that question. We want to ask, do we, have we slid into some type of complacency spiritually? Is, are there misplaced priorities in our lives? And if so, what can we do about that? And so we're going to look at uh, Haggai. This message is for everyone today. I think it's for uh, the casual Christian, the complacent Christians, I've already used that word, uh, the rebellious uh, Christian, uh, the one that's feeling guilty and, and shameful. I think it covers all of us in the church family, the happy, uh, the, the walking with Christ uh, believer. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, I think, can use this message from Haggai this morning. And our primary focus is this. Reflection on your life must move you into loving obedience to God. Reflection on your life, reflection on my life, must move us to loving obedience to God. It's not just reflection and, and thinking about the good times and disappointed in the bad times or living with regret. No, this is about making change and moving toward loving obedience to God. That's what we're going to see take place. That's what God's message is for the Israelites. And so we're asking the Spirit today if, if we need course corrections. I hope that you'll be listening to him even as we look at God's word here. Now, Haggai... As I said, third book to the last of, of uh, the Old Testament. It's the most precisely dated uh, book uh, of the prophets that we know exactly when he spoke. He basically gave four messages in a five-month period back in 520 B.C. 
And, and again, this is after the Israelites have returned from uh, captivity in Babylon. We're going to look at uh, his four messages, one each week. And um, he was a contemporary of Zechariah, and he is mentioned in the book of Ezra, because as you remember, Ezra returned uh, from Babylon and the book that uh, we studied a couple of summers ago. So I want you to turn to Haggai with me, and, and we'll ask and answer this question, how do your priorities line up with God's priorities for you? And in the first 11 verses, we'll see this, that we are to reflect seriously on God's priorities. Reflect seriously on God's priorities. We want to take a sober look at what's important to God so that we can move toward him instead of just going our own way or drifting off in our own way. When we're caught up in a post-pandemic world, it is easy to misplace our priorities. We are so disoriented by all that is going on in this world that it's easy to lose sight of God's priorities for us. In verses 1 to 11, we're going to let, get a look at God speaking to the people through his prophet Haggai. And we're going to see basically what I've arranged in as six reflections. Six reflections that uh, God challenges his people with in Israel. I think six reflections that he challenges us with today as we consider our relationship with God at the start of this new year. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 first. And the first reflection is in verse 1. Reflect on your life circumstances. When we acknowledge our life situation, we are better able to understand how it's possible to drift away from God, how it's possible to deprioritize God, how it's possible to get caught up in everything that's going on in our lives, whether we're trying to take control or we've lost all control, and to better understand why we aren't wa walking with uh, Jesus the way we want to when we realize the pressures, the stresses, distractions of life, we begin to listen to God and hear him calling us back. So this is what Haggai wrote in verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Israelites to whom Haggai spoke were part of the first caravan to return from Babylon. So you remember there were three caravans, and, and this is about 538, 537 BC. And, and the first group of people to leave Babylon are 50,000 Israelites, and they come back to Jerusalem. King Cyrus is in control in Babylon, and what he has done is he has said, hey, I want you guys to go back to your country. I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want Jerusalem to thrive, and I want you to rebuild your temple. Now, he had alternative motives for that, or ulterior motives. He wanted them to build the temple, because, and he did that with all of his captives, all of his immigrants, if you will. He sent them home and, and sent them back to worshiping their own gods because he was superstitious enough to believe that if they were worshiping their gods and their gods were happy, then their gods would be pleased with him. After all, he's the one that sent them back, right? So not only did he send them back, he gave them money to buy timber for rebuilding their temple. 
So the Israelites come back. They come back uh, to Jerusalem that is devastated. Many of you helped us uh, help our families at hurricane, when Hurricane Harvey came through. And obviously we didn't have the flooding that they had in Houston, but we had a lot of flooding of our own from San Jacinto River and from the lake. And so as we went out in different teams to muck out homes, we were trying to clean them up and prepare them to be rebuilt. Well, Jerusalem, think of it this way. Hurricane Harvey has come through and no one did any mucking out. It was just destroyed by the Babylonians. It was burned to a crisp. Stones were knocked over, and so every bit of wood in the temple was burned out, and, and the temple was knocked down. And not only that, but it's been sitting there for 70 years. 70 years. So that gives us a little bit of a, an idea of what it is like for these 50,000 people to be so excited to go back to their home and be hit with this devastation. That is the situation that they are walking into as they go into Jerusalem. The Israelites are initially excited. In fact, in Ezra chapter 3, he tells us that they laid the foundation. They got right to work and started working on the temple. Well, then things came up. First thing that came up was the Samaritans. Samaritans came over and said, hey, we'll help you do this. Well, Israelites and Samaritans didn't get along back then any better than they did in the time of Jesus. And so the Israelites knew that there was something going on with the Samaritans, and they didn't want them around. So they refused their service, which increased the... Uh, enmity between those two groups and then they quit they laid the foundation for the temple but they quit working on it and they began to say you know um, temple is important but we got to fix our own homes I mean we have families we got we got to go to work we got to restore the economy here we got to rebuild a nation and, and this temple in their mind was just one little piece of all of that it wasn't in God's mind, but it was in theirs. Well, our lives feel very much like Jerusalem looked in 538 BC, right? I mean, we've been through this pandemic. We are still in the pandemic. Evidently, it's crazy health care. Uh, there are rising costs and inflation. Uh, we're dealing with uh, social adjustments, with violence and, and schools that are disrupted. There are all kinds of things that are going on. In fact, I read this week a national survey that said 54% of Americans are more fearful than hopeful going into this new year. 54% are fearful about going into this new year. That is an increase of 20% from last year. And they did break it down, you know, different socioeconomic and, and, and different uh, political parties and all that. But the point being, that's a huge leap in one year. We live in a time of devastation, to be honest. And it has altered everyone's lives here. And even with this latest craziness, whatever's going on, the, the flu and, and the uh, Omicron and, and COVID just swirling around our county right now. It's a crazy time, and it's a life situation that has devastated much of what we want to do. It's certainly changed our lives, everything from travel to things we purchase and, and how we socialize. So we realize that we're in a life situation that feels like Jerusalem looked. And I think it's wise for us to reflect on our life circumstances 
to recognize and to acknowledge that. And certainly that makes us say, well, we need God. We need God. The second reflection we see is in verse 2. And, and here we see that we need to reflect on our relationship with God. The Israelites had excitedly laid the foundation of the temple, and then they quit. And then they waited 16 years. It's 16 years now that they have done nothing on the temple itself, the temple rebuild, restoration, and Haggai comes on the scene. The temple lays in ruins. And the Lord sends the prophet to get their attention. And this is what he says in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come even for the, the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. August 29th, 520 B.C. Haggai brings this message to the Israelites. And there's a couple of things to note about it. In essence, God is laughing at his people because he's saying they're telling him what the timeline should be. This is the sovereign God of the universe. This is the living God of the universe. And they are the ones who say, well, it's not time yet. He is the one who sent them into captivity, and he's the one who brought them back from captivity. And yet they're telling God what to do. I think it's interesting that Haggai, speaking for God, uses the title Lord of Hosts or Lord of Angel Armies or Lord Almighty, or how some of the ways your versions may translate that. Five times in this little chapter, Haggai refers to God as the Lord of Hosts. That speaks of his incredible, invincible might, his sovereignty. Who are we? Who are the Israelites to challenge God? Because he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish, and he will. That alone should make us want to line up with him. I think it's also interesting that he says, this people. How often through the Old Testament has he said, my people? But he's saying, this people. He's noting here that they want to be set apart from him. They want to make their decision on when it is time to do something and when it is time not to do something. In the midst of their life situation, the Israelites had forgotten their relationship with God. And they weren't looking at God as deeply as they needed to. They weren't getting their confidence and their strength from God. What we think about God shapes our perspective on life. It shapes our decisions and it shapes our willingness to worship him or to live in obedience to him. When we look at life through our situation and our circumstances, then we tend to disregard God and we attempt to take control. And we certainly don't remain on God's mission for him or with him. By using God's titles, Haggai is calling them and he's calling us back to the majesty of God to remember who we're dealing with here to remember that we can trust him enough to obey him, to reflect on his greatness and his majesty. And that settles our spirit in the midst of everything that's going on around us. We recognize that we experience his peace through the power of his presence and that he offers joy despite the pain. 
Haggai calls them to reflect on the character of God. As we reflect on misplaced priorities, let's let God's majesty give us confidence and joy as we're drawn to him. See our life through him, not him through our life situation. Well, the third reflection is to reflect on God's rebuke. Reflect on God's rebuke in verses 3 and 4. We know that scripture is good for teaching and rebuking or reproving, training, correcting and training in righteousness. And so here we get one of those times of rebuke. Here's that confrontation. Here's where Billy Graham would say either Christianity is everything or it is nothing at all. It's not worth the bother. God confronted his people directly with the reality of misplaced priorities. And he got their attention with a penetrating question in verses 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? What a question <laughs> from the living God of the universe, from the God who just brought them back from Babylon. Is it time for you to use the resources I've given you, the freedom I've given you for your interests instead of my interests is what God is saying. I think that's a question all of us wrestle with, isn't it? Are we using his resources and the freedom he's given us for our interest or for his interest? The Israelites had returned. They had gotten excited, they'd started, and then all the excitement just wore off. And with that, so did their prioritizing of following God, fearing God, reverencing God, worshiping God. It was no longer the highest priority in their lives around everything around which everything else was centered, around everything around which everything else fell into place. Self-interest surfaced and their attention switched to what they wanted to do. And it wasn't that it wasn't really time to build the temple. It just was that it was an inconvenient time for them. And not only are they building their own homes, but they have made their homes homes of luxury. They've taken those resources. They've taken the timber because most homes were stone back then or some form of clay or dirt, and they are now paneling them with the money that Cyrus gave them to rebuild the temple. So again, <laughs> that hits me in the face. You know, how often do I take the resources God has given me and use it on what I want to do instead of what will further his kingdom? Whether it's my time or my energy, my money, whatever it is. We've got to wrestle with that question, just like the Israelites had to once God confronted them through Haggai. This temple lays in disarray, and this temple is what represents the presence of God with his people. This is where he would locate. And so for us, the question is, how preeminent do we make Christ in our lives? We know that he's always with us. And he's engaged with us and he's focused on us. But how much are we focused with him? How much are we engaged with Jesus Christ? God confronts them in a way that demands, where are your priorities? And he's essentially asking, how important am I to you 
when you say, hey, it's not time to build what you want built, God. We're not given the direct command here, but in Ezra chapter 6, verse 14, Ezra makes it clear that Cyrus commanded they go back and build the temple, and God commanded that they go back and rebuild the temple. They chose not to do that. They prioritized their lives over God's. And it's a temptation for all followers of Jesus. We don't put ourselves at the center of our universe. And, and again, we just kind of drift into that position, right? Because things are so rapid fire coming at us. We're having to make so many decisions to take care of so many things. And, and pretty soon, Christ is no longer there at the center. He's not the focus. He's not the one we lean on or depend upon for all those decisions. And he's not the one that we worship or live in obedience to. He deserves that position. It's not the only place in Scripture that we see things like this. Paul made a statement similar to this penetrating question in Philippians chapter 2 as he was writing in the letter to Philippi. Philippians 2.21, he says this about the, the people he was talking about, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So what is God making apparent in your life today? What is it about your life or my life that needs to be reprioritized? How would your life reveal your priorities? Well, having rebuked the Israelites and, and challenged us, Haggai moves on to God's challenge in verses 5 through 7. And that would be the fourth reflection, to reflect on God's challenge to the Israelites, but also to us. God directly challenges his people to evaluate themselves here in, in verses 5 through 7. He starts out in verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. He, he, he couldn't be any more direct, could he? I want you to reflect on what's going on in your life, your ways, how you're living, how you carry yourself, what is important to you, what you prioritize in your life. Look at yourself. And then the Lord points out in verse 6 what is going on so that he can relate it to their life situation and how has it affected their priorities. In verse 6, we see what is taking place in their lives. And, and despite trying to live their best life, they are experiencing hard times. This is what he says in verse 6. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. They have seed, but no matter what they plant, their crop is small. They have food, but they're constantly feeling hungry. They have wine, but it lacks potency. They wrap themselves in clothes, but they still shiver. They earn money, but never have enough to buy what they need. And so at this point, the Lord repeats himself in verse 7. Consider your ways. God has given them what they prioritize. We've got to restore our nation. We've got to rebuild our economy. We've got to set up our families. And he's shown them in an attempt to get them to evaluate their priorities, the result of pursuing their own interests. They can pursue all that they want. We can pursue all that we want. But ultimately, if it doesn't involve Jesus Christ, we're going to find it unsatisfying. We're, we're going to find it empty. At some point, it's become a, a dead end. 
it's going to keep us busy and frustrated because now we have more things to maintain and keep and long for. And thankfully, Amazon makes it all available. We have these opportunities before us, and, and we don't often think about how we begin to let things run our lives instead of centering ourselves on Christ and letting him run us. And so God says, evaluate yourself. This is what you have pursued, and it has left you empty. It has left you unsatisfied. If you, if you and I were to take uh, some time and, and go through each of those phrases, we would go back to Deuteronomy, and we would see that each one of those was one of the consequences for disobeying God. If you remember the covenant in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, God says, if you obey me, I will bless you. And if you disobey me, you will not have my blessing. You will have my curses. So he's pointing them toward obedience. And he lays out some of these things as consequences for what would happen if they pursued that instead of worshiping God and putting him at the center. They were told in general that obedience leads to blessing, disobedience to lack of blessing. But their lack of resources and frustration are the result of disobedience. And they need to see that for themselves. If we would obey God, we've got to consider our ways and reflect on his providential leading in our lives. As Matt indicated last week, everything that goes on in our lives is used by God to point us toward the future when we become like Christ and actually becoming more like Christ now, day by day. So whether it's our foolish choices or God's providential leading, he's in charge as we respond to him. And all of that can make us more like Jesus Christ. We've got to reflect on his providential leading in our lives. We've got to reflect on if there's emptiness, if that's a result of our choices and to recenter ourselves on what Christ would have us decide. The fifth reflection is this, reflect on God's grace. When work is gladly done to honor God, then it brings glory to God. So we wonder, as we look at their approach to life and their misplaced priorities and their statements from God, what's God going to do with them? Is he going to give them a second chance? Or is he going to send them back to Babylon? Is he just going to kind of get rid of them and start over with a new people? What is God going to do there? Here's what he says in verse 8. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. The God of second chances sends them into the forest to get the timber. He wants them to get back in the game. So when he pursues us, even when he disciplines us and allows us to get what we want until we reach a dead end and until we find it unsatisfying, until we find out that we've left the abundant life in Christ behind, God calls us back. It's never too late to get back in the game. Never too late to be used by God on his mission. No matter what your condition, past or present, God can and will use you. So return to his calling in your life.
Every opportunity to obey God is an opportunity to honor him, which brings him glory. Honor him with obedience. Obedience is a form of loving humility in which we recognize his position over us. And we choose to prioritize God's interests, his calling on our life, his work, the things he has called us toward throughout scripture, the commission that Christ gave, go throughout the world and make disciples. It's one of the most simple and serious that God has given. And if we're going to prioritize God's interests, then we've got to reflect on God's grace because it's impossible without his grace to be sufficient for our needs, to be powerful and strong and to call us back into the race. Too often we remove ourselves when we realize how selfishly we have lived. We figure God uh, can't use us or, or we are so disoriented that God can't point us in the right direction. And all of that is false. God says, get back in the game, evangelize, share with people how you came to Christ. Use your gifts to serve others, encourage others, go through the one another's in the New Testament. You could spend an entire new year doing the one another's in obedience to God. We've got to reflect on God's grace so that we realize how powerful he is, how much he loves us, and how much he wants us to get back in the game and join us, join him in his work. The sixth reflection that we have is to reflect on God's love. If we're going to look at his grace, let's look at his love. It's Paul who said the kindness of God leads to repentance. It's his divine discipline that draws us back to himself. It is an example of his life or of his love for us. It's his divine discipline that draws us back to where abundant life is found in Christ. When we disobey, God confronts us. He loves us enough to confront us and draw us back. Everyone in Jerusalem knew that they were having a difficult time, but I don't think they knew why. Uh, they might put it down to the fallen world. They might have put it down to just coincidence. They might have put it down to fate. But I don't know if they fully understood the Lord's discipline. There's a direct connection here between their life situation, their plight, and their neglect of the temple. This is what Haggai said in verse 9. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. As if it's not enough to say, where are your priorities? As if it's not enough to say, you think it's an inconvenient time. Now he's very confrontational. And the Lord gets our attention when he says, because of my house. You want to go your way? I'm just going to. I'm going to let you go that way. I'm going to blow it away. God's not going to ignore us when we chase down our own agendas and fail to obey his plans. Jesus must be central in our lives. His mission is to be our mission. And when Jesus is not central to us, then God disciplines us. He calls us back, if you will. I like the way J. Oswald Chambers put it in his little devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. He says this about divine discipline. He says, before we choose to follow God's will, a crisis must develop in our lives. Stay with me. This happens because we tend to be unresponsive to God's gentler nudges. He brings us to a point where he asks us to give our utmost, our best for his glory. 
And we begin to debate with him. Can you see that in the Israelites? Go back, rebuild the temple. You're free now. You're home. And they're like, well, we got other things we got to do first. Can you see that in your own life? He then providentially provides a crisis where we must finally decide for or against, with him or without him. So God gave Israel a crisis. They were not in compliance and life was tough. And here's his discipline in verse 10. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. God was the, prod, uh, the uh, cause of their poor crops. He was the reason they lacked food and drink. He was the reason that they were not satisfied or fulfilled in what they pursued. And it isn't interesting here, the Israelites will not obey, but the sky and the earth do obey God when he tells them to withhold the dew and to withhold the produce. Since they did not obey God, he removed their resources and he made their life hard on them. He gave them what they wanted. And as a result, he overwhelmed their human pride and their sense of self-sufficiency. That's often what God does when he brings a crisis into our life. He's just calling us back. Discipline breaks us down so that we return to the source of life. Verse 11, he says, I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. It's pretty rough, isn't it? God wanted to get their attention, not to harm them. He wanted to draw them back to where they could experience life to the fullest. The discipline, the divine discipline of the Lord is made known here. He makes sure that his people know it's no coincidence. All of their struggles are God-induced, and he's getting their attention. Draw them back to a place of experiencing his presence, to know and experience his love and his grace and so his divine discipline is an act of love that way we have passages throughout the old testament and the new testament that remind us of that and spell it out very clearly here's one in proverbs 3 11 and 12 my child don't reject the lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you for the lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights what a beautiful passage what a beautiful reminder that God's discipline is designed to call us back to him. He pursues us in this relationship that he initiated. He pursues us regardless of our choices. And he draws us back. He calls us back. Hebrews 12, same thing. You, you're familiar with that passage. God allows us to suffer the results of our own wrong choices. To get our attention, convict us of sin, and lead us to repentance. The first part of Haggai's message calls the Israelites back to Lord Almighty. He explains what is going on with God's discipline and their only hope for moving forward with growth and with joy. So as we take those words to heart, those six reflections, I encourage you to reflect at least in two areas. You could walk through each of those, certainly. But I would reflect on disobedience, start there, confess your sin, that's an obvious one, right? I would also suggest you, you reflect on your promises that you've made to God because those are typically made based on God's word and based on a sincere desire to follow him. And maybe you've drifted from those promises. 
If they are biblical, if they are God's calling on your life, return to them. Two simple ways that you can reflect, that I can reflect on God's word according to his calling to get back in the game. Reflect on how God is at work in your life. Reflect on God's priorities. Reflect on God. Talk it up with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, Haggai has given these six reflections to the Israelites. Let's look at how they respond to God's challenges on their misplaced priorities. In verses 12 to 15, we see that they respond with loving obedience to God. That's the response. These four little verses... We've seen in other passages, other sermons, how easy it is to drift into spiritual complacency. That we never drift into holiness. That's where a choice has to be made. That's where we have to move and say, God, I will obey you. I do need you, and I need you to strengthen me. So the first response in verse 12 is to respond to God's mission. I see three responses here that we can imitate that are healthy from the Israelites to God's challenges. Verse 12, respond to God's mission. Gladly choosing to serve God brings him glory. And the remnant chose to worship God. And it showed up in their obedience to his command. They chose worship and obedience over good intentions and promises and resolutions. They just obeyed. Their response is entirely different from the Israelites' response to the prophets before the exile. Isaiah and Jeremiah called them back to God as well. And what they do, they just thumb their noses. They said, we like our idols. And so God said, okay, I'll give you what I want, what you want. I'll send you to Babylon where all you have are idols. These people respond. Listen to what they do in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. In the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people showed reverence for the Lord. They worshiped him. And immediate, immediate obedience was their response. It's a loving response to God when he gives us a command. To think that we can put off God and at any time do what we want is to fail God. To think that we can return to God any time we want is to fail God. He wants immediate obedience right now. And the Israelites show us how they chose that. We can't choose spiritual neutral. We're, we're either going forward with Christ or we're just drifting backwards. Second response, verse 13, respond to God's enablement. His sufficiency, as Christ told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, that my grace is sufficient for you for everything you need. Respond to God's enablement. God honors those who do his work. He honors those who quit making excuses and do his work. The Lord has promised his presence with his people in the form of enablement. So we see in verse 13, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. How often through Scripture have we seen God say, Do this, and I am with you. Joshua, everybody knows Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous, and I am with you. I will be with you wherever you go. What were the last words of Christ to the disciples as he ascended into heaven? Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and I am with you always. Certainly, it's God's longing 
to fellowship with us and to love us and to be with us. But those are terms of empowerment, terms of enablement, that when he is present, you can do what he has called you to do. And when you respond and I respond with obedience, then he gives us the strength to do, do that. The third response, respond with cooperation with God. Verses 14 and 15. Everyone decided now the te temple was a priority. The heart matter of obedience is settled. They finished the harvest, evidently, according to scholars. And 24 days later, they were all at work on the temple, the Lord's project, reestablishing his preeminence so that he could be present with them. This is what we read in verses 14 and 15. I, I think you'll love the wording here about God's involvement in their lives. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Behind their willing response, Behind our willing response of obedience to God is the silent working of the Lord. He is the one who is prompting us through the Spirit toward obedience. He's the one who is convicting us through the Spirit when we don't obey. We recognize there is a sin in, in our lives. He's the one that creates a willing attitude by His Spirit. It's the Spirit who gives us that stirs our hearts. And, and when we do obey, the Lord empowers us to accomplish what he called us to do. He's not asking us randomly to go out and do things. He is going to give us the strength to do it. You see the cooperation here between us and the Holy Spirit. He prompts us, we obey, he works in us and strengthens us to be able to do it. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, I think capture this beautifully. Paul's letter to Philippi, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God, that's our part, right? With deep reverence and fear. That's what the Israelites chose. For God is working in you, stirring your heart, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You want to step out and honor God. He will give you the power to do what pleases him, to bring him glory. The Lord of hosts is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He is also our Lord who has initiated a personal relationship with us. And when he speaks, we must respond with loving obedience as a way to experience life to the fullest, seeing God at work through us and to bring him greater glory. Uh, a new year is a time, a great time to look at misplaced priorities, to reflect on who God is and what he is doing and, and, and where our priorities are. Have we placed our interests over his does God matter? How important is he in our lives? We want to join him in his work. We don't want to rule ourselves out. We want to experience his grace and his love. It might be time for a course correction. So take time to reflect on your relationship with Christ. On these six reflections, or the two that I gave you, and to respond with immediate obedience. Because when we reflect on our lives in Christ, it will move us to loving obedience to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful 
that uh, you have given us uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then by looking at your relationship with the Israelites here in the 6th century B.C., that we can call out those things that mark our lives as we respond to you or as we go our own way. And we ask for the grace, for your protection, to keep us from drifting away from you. We ask for the insight and the ability to see where we have prioritized things above you and for the strength and the courage to make those changes that bring us back in line with you, that we might experience the abundant life in Christ that you promise. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. center of our lives be the place we fix our eyes be the center of our lives you're the center of the universe everything was made in you Jesus breath of every was made for you you hold everything together you hold everything together oh Christ be the center of our lives be the place we fix our center of our lives. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. You're the center of the Everything was made in you, Jesus, breath of every living thing, everyone was made for you, you hold everything together, you hold everything together, you hold everything together. Everything together. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. We lift our eyes. our lives around your life. We lift our eyes to heaven, to you. We lift our eyes to heaven. We wrap our lives around your life. 
lift our eyes to heaven, to you. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives, be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives, center of our
just to you. The Lord turned his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. with Christmas decorations. I'll be at the front door waiting to check that you have done so.